morning. Welcome back. <laughs> uh, it seems more than two weeks. Um, but uh, someone asked, how do did, how did we enjoy the cruise? We, we, we enjoyed it, and we were glad to, that it, when it finished, we were glad to get off that boat and uh, not be moving around all the time. So, uh, but God was good to us. We, uh, we had a great time. We got to uh, catch some of the services online. Um, the, the, both Sundays were getting on and getting off. So we didn't get all of the service from uh, Tim and Cheryl Ruse. But uh, what a great couple. Um, right before his, his, he started his message, our call came out to debark from the, from the ship. So we had to, I had to catch up on that later on. And I'm glad that there was some leaflets or handouts still available in the front row. So I grabbed one of those and an ink pen and, and I filled in all of the blanks. But uh, great ministry. Uh, we just are so blessed with our staff. Um, every time Brad comes and uh, brings a message from this pulpit, it's, it's a great message. It's uh, anointed. And he and Lacey are such a blessing to uh, this church and to Brenda and I personally, we just uh, thank the Lord for you. We do thank the Lord for you on a regular basis. <laughs> and I, I thank the Lord for our TFA family, uh, knowing that you were praying for us. Um, but there's some that have went through. I don't know what happened here. It's kind of like knee and hip replacement uh, move is on. Uh, in two days, two people in our church, Karen and Lawson, had uh, knee replacements. And K.O. Jack and Dennis Johnson has had hip replacements. So we're going to pray for them. If you have a need for God to touch you, it doesn't matter what it is, as, as we pray, would you stand right where you're at? You have a need for God to do something in your family, in your life, um, something you're facing, just stand up. And we're going to pray that God will move in those, those situations. And we believe that God will move in those situations. And some of you that are close to them, can you just be their prayer partner? Just to reach over and put your hand on them. Uh, take, take the hand of each other if you're standing next to each other. But just, uh, and the rest of you, just point your hand towards some of these who are standing. Lord, we believe that you have all power in heaven and in earth. And there's nothing impossible with you. And we pray for these knee replacements to heal completely for uh, Karen and Lawson, Lord, that every day their leg gets better and stronger and the muscles return to their, their normal strength. We ask for Dennis and Katie that their hip replacements will heal every day, Lord. May they see the advancement of your healing power working and restoring the strength to their bodies, Lord. And we pray for every single person that's standing, the battle that might be in their family, might be health, it might be financial, it might be a door that needs to be open. We dare believe that you have a will and a purpose in each of those situations. And we pray for miracles to be released. We stand on the authority of your word today that if any two shall agree as touching anything, it can and will be done. And we believe that and we stand on that. We stand on your promises, Lord, that your word declares to us if we believe and we confess that things begin to happen and we stand here with your authority on our lives 
And we surrender these battles to you. We surrender these insurmountable things in our eyes, Lord, but they're not insurmountable with you. That you will bring about everything that needs to be done for your own glory, for your own honor, Lord. We give you thanks for it in advance. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. We give you praise, Lord, for all that you are and all that you will do in our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Well, God speaks to us through his word, does he not? In fact, that's the main way he speaks to us is through his word. And uh, we're going to jump in in Matthew chapter 13, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Some interesting things we're going to look at in that. But uh, before we get to Matthew 13, and uh, I'm reading out of the ESV, how about that? You know, we just take one of the translations and we read from it. But uh, this morning, all of you ESV uh, people, this is your day. How's that? I know Brad's excited about it. I'm using the ESV stock. He's been praying for me to, <laughs> to embrace ESV. You must be having an effect on me. But, you know, my, my King James just wants to kind of override some of this, that the Word of God is quick. It is quick, but the Word actually means living. And here's how it reads in the ESV. For the Word of God, this is Hebrews 4.12. I don't know if I gave you the exact passage Hebrews 4 12 for the word of God is living and active think about what we're going to read in just a moment by the words own description of this book for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. And I think when we can listen to the things that Jesus spoke and the things that is in this word, this book, this Bible, that everything that we read is living, it's alive, it's powerful, it's sharp, it can divide right into our souls the things sometimes we have confusion, sometimes we're battling um, moods and, and, and things that are going on, we think, well, is this the will of God or is that the will of God? And we're seeking God. And sometimes his word, we're just trying to discern what the word of God is saying to us. But I want to tell you that everything you read in this book is alive. It has the potential to give you life and give you direction and bring you out of a shadowy place into a place of light so you know exactly what God's will is. If there's anything I think all of us find that we're at a place is that we want to do what God wants us to do. What is God's will for my life? What is his will for me in a set situation? Sometimes that's a battle, is it not? That we need to find out what God is saying to us. Well, Jesus has done a lot of preaching that Matthew's recorded. And in, in chapter 13, he does something that he had not done before And we especially know that by the disciples' response. He tells a story, a parable. And that's what we're going to read in Matthew 13, 
And I'm not going to read the parable. It's the parable of the sower, the soil, the seed. And uh, we'll get to the interpretation of the parable. I'm going to skip over reading the parable. But all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, records this parable. And the scriptures translate this as parable. But parable is not really translated. It's transliterated. It is the Greek word parabole. So we just give it an English sound. So what is parabole? What does that word mean? It means something that comes alongside to give clarity, to give meaning. So the disciples asked the question. They came to him after they heard him tell this story, this parable about. And this is the first time that it looks like that they heard him do this. Because they ask a question. This is in verse 10. That's where we're going to start. He says, why do you speak to them in parables? And this is his answer. The answer is very profound when you really start examining it. He answered them, says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, the people that he just told this parable to, To them, it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand." Now, if we just stopped right there, could you understand why Jesus delected to read, to preach to them in a parable? Why he decided to do a story when he says, you know, you guys know, they don't know, and that's why I gave a parable to them. <laughs> and it gets even more interesting because when there's, they're, they're the ones asking Jesus, why did you do that? Why did you tell? I think sometimes we over-interpret parables and we kind of give meaning to the people that are in the parable. It's a story, but it's not an allegory. It's not a fable. These are examples or illustrations. Maybe that's another way to say Jesus illustrated some things in this story that they knew that there was something profound. about. Why, why did you say all of this to people, this crowd of people? And they noticed that this was different, that he didn't usually do this. So why did Jesus speak in parables? That's what I titled this day. Why parables? The continuation of the Lord's response is in verse 14. And it gets even more interesting. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. When Isaiah prophesied, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes. And Jesus quoted Isaiah. Said, this, is, this is related to what Isaiah was saying. But he turns to him and says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, you see, and your ears, for they hear. 
For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now in verse 11, it says that the mysteries of the kingdom of God, Jesus told them that the mysteries of the kingdom of God is for you to know and for them not to know. They've been given to you, but it hasn't been given to them. What is, when you really think about this, he's told a parable and he knew that the majority of the people out there would not get it, would not understand it, but that there was people out there that would get it. One of the scholars that you, you, can, you can study the parables and why did Jesus do parables? Why did he even use them? This is a scholar, David W. Jones. You might come across him from time to time. He says, and, and this really makes you, you scratch your head. His, this is his summation of this. The reason why Jesus taught in parables was not to explain spiritual truths to the crowd, but to keep spiritual truths from the crowd. So what is that about? If that's the way all of this comes down, it certainly seems that Jesus spoke to them in a manner that exposed where the crowd was at or where they weren't at and that anything that did not fit their paradigm, they didn't get it. That they had already a settled idea about what's right and what's wrong and no matter what I think we can say that no matter what Jesus said to the crowds, that many, many people didn't get it. And not only did they not get it, many of them walked away angry and really had issues with him. Jesus spoke in a way that exposed who they were. Is the Lord keeping spiritual truths from the crowd here in this story? By speaking to them in parables, I really, I really can't settle on that. But there's another scholar I'm going to mention to you in just a minute. You remember um, we had like three tables of books out here. You remember that? Free books. And there was a lot of people that came through there. Was, by the way, that was Richard Coogan's donation to the church. And anybody that wanted a free book. So after two or three weeks, the books were still out there. And I said, well, I guess people's gotten what they want. So I went in there to box them up. But, you know, I'm a book person. And it was like, I, I just can't give that one to the thrift store. And I definitely can't give that to the thrift store. You know, nine o'clock in the morning was on, still on there. I said, well, I can't give that to the thrift store, even though I have a copy of it. But there was a book about this thick by Alfred Edersheim. And when I saw that, I said, now what a shame that that book is still there after everybody's walked by. The life and times of Jesus the Messiah couldn't take that one to the thrift store. That was not going to happen. Alfred Edersheim is considered one of the great scholars and his testimony is that he was born into a Jewish family and he was converted to faith in Christ Jesus and became one of the greatest scholars of the Bible. 
And that book is that thick. Isn't it, Nick? Have you started reading it yet? <laughs> well, it is intimidating. It's that thick. But Alfred Edersheim is, is, he has such a unique way of looking at difficult passages like this. I mean, the whole book covers it's this thing covers the life and times of Jesus. It's not about the Old Testament. It's just about he examines so much about the life of Christ. And it's all of it's just rock solid stuff. And this is one of the things he talked about. He said that the miracles, Jesus' miracles, had attracted many and others had perhaps been astonished by his earlier teaching but the parables themselves, just as in the story of the seed falling on various places, this is exactly about Matthew 13, revealed the true nature of their responses and their decisions. And this is totally different from what David Jones decided, that the Lord intentionally kept spiritual truth from the crowd by saying parables. I think Edersheim was a little bit closer to what the Lord was doing. It says he came to declare truth to them. His parables illustrated where they were. His preaching did not condition them to rejection. He only revealed by using a parable where they were. I'm telling you, there's some hard people sometimes that somebody walks away and say they will never accept Jesus. Don't count them out. I'm sure that a lot of people did not think that some guy named Saul from Tarsus would ever be a Christian. Even when it was miraculously done, there were some people that still didn't trust him. He's a snake in the grass. He, he don't trust that guy. Don't get around him. It's all a ruse. And yet God had totally transformed Saul of Tarsus' life. If you've ever read the story of Chuck Colson, uh, Watergate fame. And see, I'm in, I'm in an age group that we all know all about that. How Nick, uh, Richard Nixon, the first time I got to vote for president of the United States, I voted for Richard Nixon in 72. And less than a year or so later, he was leaving office in shame. <laughs> How about that? First president I voted for and he's being, he's being kicked out. But in the midst of all of that, the real person they said is the, is the guy that was cold-blooded, would cut anybody off for his own personal gain and for the gain of his party was Charles Colson. And they got him. They got him in the Watergate scandal. But there were born-again men in Congress, both Democrat, just a small group, Democrat and Republican, went to him, shared the gospel with him, started reaching out to him, and gave him mere Christianity to read. And sitting in his car, he broke down in tears, a hardened hardened lawyer that would not blink an eye as to who he would hurt gave his life to Jesus and became one of the most influential influencer in prison fellowship and, and really still is this day has so many people that found Jesus through his life 
And if you've never read The Cross and the Switchblade, if you've never watched the movie The Cross and Switchblade, Nikki Cruz, Eric Estrada played the part. How many of her seen the movie The Cross and Switchblade? There's probably a lot of you here that's never seen it. You need to find it. But Nikki Cruz threatened David Wilkerson to cut him up in all kind of pieces if he didn't leave him alone and get out of his face because he is a warlord of the Mau Mau's gang in New York City. And when he said that to David Wilkerson, he looked at him and says, and every one of the pieces that you cut me up in will say that Jesus loves you and that I love you. And he wore that man down, that wore that young man down so much, he came to faith and became one of the great influencers. Those were the ones that people would say, well, they rejected God. They rejected truth. But you see, you cannot gauge the callous heart because God can still reach the callous person. Never allow the outward display of someone you're witnessing to (laughs) tell you that, well, that was a waste of time. They didn't really budge at all. In fact, they got mad at me and told me not to ever share that again. You never know how much that word got into their soul. If you have a son, a daughter, if you have a family member that seems to be so shut off from the gospel, I want to tell you, the gospel still works in those hard places. No matter how hard their their soul looks on the outside, no matter how many times you witness to him, and, I've, and, and I can say from my brother, my brother, I got to see my brother. In fact, Denson Revival Center was one of the other two teams that won the, the prize for cooking. And so that was pretty good. Between our two and my brother's team, we were three for four. Because I claimed Vincent Revival Center a little bit. But so many times he would just reject any, any, anything I said that was in any way could be like, Johnny, I, I want you to go to heaven with me. Don't you preach to me. I said, well, I'm not preaching to him. I'm just telling you, don't you want to go to heaven? No, I don't. No, I, I, don't say that to me. I said, I'm not preaching to you. I just, you don't want me to, want you to go to heaven. You know what I mean. You just get out of my face about that. And that's the way he was. You couldn't say anything to him. Now the guy witnesses to anything that moves. He goes into a breakfast place and he's going to find a waitress. He's going to find somebody sitting there and he's going to tell them about Jesus. Because he says, I came along so later in life, I need to really make my life count every single day. All the days I wasted in my life, I don't want one day ever to be wasted in my life as a believer. Well, I think we could all learn a little bit from that. Don't give up when it looks like someone's not responding. Don't give up. The parable, Jesus still loved every single one of the people he told that parable to. And he was saying in in some instance that there's some there that's not ready to receive it, but I still gave it to them. I gave it to them knowing that they were not going to receive it. When Paul gave Timothy the charge in 2 Timothy, we hear this at our ordination service in in the Assemblies of God. When someone's ordained in the ministry, they're told that same command, preach the word. 
just preach the word, just share the word. That passage calls us to not hold the gospel to ourselves, but to share the gospel. Jesus loved the people who hated him. He loved the people who hated him, who were against him, devoted to his destruction. One of his own disciples turned on him and set him up. And yet he still loved Judas. And he loved the people who killed him. And he prayed for them. He never showed any anger toward them. He said, Lord, forgive them for what they have done. He was still speaking truth. Even the last words that he would say to those people were words of encouragement. He did not want them to perish. He didn't want them to enter into an eternity without God. Who knows what people stood at the side of that crucifixion. And it wasn't maybe the next day or the next week. But somewhere along in line, those words resonated in their soul. Who knows how many people came to the Lord by just watching how he died. And hearing what he had to say about the people that was killing him. You know, those soils, those three soils... That first one, the truth, the seed is sown and it's the message of the kingdom of God and it's not understood. And Jesus said the enemy, Satan, comes along and steals it. How does that happen? Who knows how that happened? But Jesus said there's sometimes I preach and I'm telling the truth and the seeds land there. And, and just in a moment, Satan is allowed by that person, that man, that woman, that young person, that college student, it, it, they just robbed the seed from him right then and there. And then he second, said that second soil, the initial reaction is joy, but it doesn't translate into a sustaining change in their life. And when the pressure comes along, they bail out. You ever seen anybody do that? First time this tested and they seem to like let go of their faith. I heard someone say just recently that two people just have, as a husband and wife, walked away from faith in the Lord. How do you do that? Well, the enemy is doing everything he can to disrupt people who are living their life for the Lord and who are surrendered to the Lord. And there's that soil, the third soil. They hear the word. But the worries of life, stuff, money, ambition, desire for other things choke out the seed. The seed is not allowed to grow. It's crowded by other things. We've probably seen that happen too, right? People that make money, they're second God and, and they just can't carry on a committed life to the Lord. You know, I, I saw this about these kids and I thought, can I be honest with you? I'm thinking, you know, a cruise to Alaska is not like getting your car gassed up. And I'm like, just some conviction got on me. He says, man, I can sponsor one of those kids myself. And we, we think all the things that we have, all the pleasures we have, there's so many people that don't have that. And God has put us in certain places that we can do things way beyond ourselves. 
And we can cause things to happen that's beyond us. And that last soil is that the person hears the word and understands it and produces change. And the change is not always the same, is it? That's why you put a hundredfold, 60 and 30, but it's change indeed. It might be 30, but it's still changed. The seed still worked. It might be 60 and that's even better. It might be a hundred and that's really good. But the great thing about the word of God, it will produce change. Wherever the heart is that receives it, it might, you might be seeing somebody else having a lot more change than you, but just hang on. It's not over with. God is still able to make us change. I believe if we're really hungry for God and thirsty for God, it seems like there's a verse that says, maybe, just maybe, blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You realize that comes from a three-chapter complete setting of Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount and every one of those lines is easy to understand. There's none of them that have a parable sense to them. He just preaches straight, just open-end statements all through there. All kinds of subjects he's, he's talking about. He says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. I want to encourage you this morning. Stay surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. He is Lord. That's not a title. That's a function. He is master. Any of you try to uh, grab the steering wheel of your life? When it says, Jesus is my co-pilot, when I see that verse, oh, you're in trouble if he's your co-pilot. He needs to be behind the wheel. You need to be the passenger. And it's kind of like what Paris Reedhead says, no, you don't need to be the passenger because you may reach over and grab the steering wheel. You can't even sit in the back seat because there'll be times that you'll reach over the seat and try to grab the steering wheel. He says, no, you just have to get in the trunk and let God drive the car and you'll get where you're supposed to be safe and sound. Isn't that us? Isn't that us? We want to like, <laughs> when things go haywire, we're like, all right, I'm going to have to get control of this. And maybe the whole point is to let him have control of it. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord for guidance. Seek the Lord for wisdom. When you're facing a decision, a good question is, Lord, what would you do? What would Jesus do? WWJD. What would Jesus do? It's a good question, isn't it? Lord, what do you want me to do here? What would you do here? How would you respond here? How do you want me to do in this decision I'm facing and I believe that we can reach for him in a way that he responds to us and we can see his results in our lives. He wants us to be close to him. I want our praise team to come up. You know, we've got a lot coming on in a couple of weeks with Hansi Stein being here. And, and we have, we're going to have prayer time tonight at uh, 6 o'clock for praying for revival. We'll do that tonight and uh, next Sunday. We're going to believe God for revival. It's a time to focus on seeking the Lord, seeking His face, praying over this, this sanctuary, praying that God would move by His Holy Spirit. Um, 
Hamzi just finished a revival a few weeks ago at Vincent Revival Center where a lot of my family attends. My brother attends there. Wonderful move of God. Would you stand with me this morning? You know, um, I love some of the worship songs that we have. Scandal of Grace is probably one of favorite songs and there's a line in scandal of grace that says give all I have just to know you give all I have just to know you Lord I pray I pray that we'll be able to empty ourselves of control empty ourselves of self-determination somewhere find a place to where we surrender ourselves to you that you have full access to our will to our minds to our soul to our emotions to our decisions that we don't ask you to come alongside and bless what we're doing that we discover what you want and we yield ourselves to your purpose I pray for men and women in this room that You're calling them to a deeper place in you. To abandon what they have been used to for something above that, beyond that. To something new, something that introduces them to a level of fellowship and communion and koinonia, Lord, with you, a sharing of life. You call us all. And it's neat that you call us by name. You know us by name. And if you feel like the Lord is calling you by name this morning to surrender yourself totally to Him beyond what you've made decisions in the past, but on this day, Lord, here's my life. I give everything I am and everything I can be to you because you can make me way beyond that I can make myself, Lord. And if that's your heart, that's your desire, would you just come and stand here and surrender? Lord, that's where I'm at. All of you, none of me. I want it to be all of you.
That's awesome. <laughs> I need to remember that. Lord, we are grateful for your pursuit of our lives. We are lost for words that you would love us and pursue us, call us your own, know us by name, speak to us by name. You love your church, you love your bride, but every single person matters to you, Lord. Everyone in this room matters to you. And may we carry that with us this week, knowing that everybody we encounter, you love them. If they're lost, you want them to hear the gospel. You want them to know you. And if they're a brother and sister in the faith, they're part of the family. So regardless of which one, help us, Lord, to be more relational in our lives, in our daily activity to be your representatives, your, your body in this world, salt and light in our culture. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Turn around and greet those right around you. It's good to have you today on the Lord's Day. Be in prayer for the revival in a couple of weeks.